0: Well, again, welcome back to this podcast with Oscar Moreo from Nairobi Chapel. Uh, This is episode number eight. I trust you've been able to engage with the previous episodes. My name is Matthew Eckert. We're recording this podcast, a reminder, in July of 2022. And Oscar came to visit us in, in London, Ontario, Canada, and just enjoying these conversations together. And a focus of these has been on these eight things that Oscar is leaning into. In this we'll call it the final season of his ministry he's in his early 60s and let me repeat them again these eight as I do every time and then we're gonna jump into the seventh one of this time so here's what he's he's focusing on what he's calling his 5% what he believes he's called to as the Bishop of Nairobi Chapel so one was we'll secure the mission of the church Two, secure the leadership of the church three secure systems and structures to safeguard the organization Four, secure the DNA and culture of the church. Five, secure the Daniels and Esters. Six, secure the partnerships. Seven, secure the history and lessons of their work. And eight, secure the resources. And this episode, we're looking at number seven, secure the history and lessons of the work. And Oscar, as you put these through and I reflect on this, this one came across to me as, huh. What is this one about? The other ones are kind of very practical and etc. But even as I thought about this, but hold on a second. The Old Testament is full of rememberings. And maybe that's part of it. I'm not sure. So, looking forward to jumping into this. So, why was this one of those eight? Secure the history and lessons of the work. What were you thinking about? What you desire to accomplish here?
1: I've kept telling you that, uh, you know, we as Africans do not write. Okay. Yes. Um, Our culture is an oral culture. And so we tell stories, and wisdom is passed from one generation to the other through proverbs and through stories. Okay. And uh, writing is just hard. I mean, I think the generations that come after us will be better at this, and more and more are beginning to, you know, write. But for those, Maybe I'm a transitional generation. Mm. You know, people before me did not write much. Mm. And there are very few books you'll find written on leadership or Christianity by Africans, Mm. okay? And so it's easy for us in saying this to never capture these stories. Mm. And I was struck by, you know, just reflecting on scripture and in the book of exodus there are two passages that talk about this i feel the first one is in exodus 12 um verse 25 and to 27 and it says this when you enter the land the lord has promised to give you you will continue to observe this ceremony and you remember that god set up quite a number of ceremonies for israel new ceremonies that he made up if i may put it that way and told them this is what you're going to do and the one that the dingy little ceremonies that we have today that is let's meet at two o'clock as a family and we're going to have a birthday and we're going to go until four o'clock and go our separate ways. Some of these ceremonies were for a week long, two weeks long of celebrating and eating and feasting and etc. But he went on to verse 26 to say, then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he stuck, struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. When Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshiped. There's a very real sense there that when God set up some of these ceremonies, it wasn't just for the generations that were there. They celebrated and they remembered God's faithfulness. But maybe the real reason that those ceremonies were set up was not for those generations, but for their children and their children's children, and their children's children's children after them. The stories of God's faithfulness and deliverance are not for you, Matt. They're for your grandchildren. How are you going to ensure that they receive that inheritance that is theirs, and that you do not die with it? Now, again, in the book of Exodus chapter 13, same thing again. And in the future, your children will ask you, what does all this mean? Then you will tell them with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the place of our slavery. Mm-hmm. Stories of deliverance. When God spoke to you, when God directed you, when God redeemed you from a situation where you felt you were lost and hopeless and you know you just needed to be rescued and God came through for you. It's not for you. Mm. It's for your children and your children's Mm. children. I've met your grandchildren, so I know them. And they're only, you know, two years, six years, four years, etc. It's for them. Mm. If you passed away today mad, how would they get their stories? Mm. So when did this one dawn on you, let me say? It was the last one. It was the last one to dawn on me. And it dawned sitting with somebody who was pushing me. To write, And I get that question a lot. Have you written a book? And I say, no, no, Africans don't write. And so I I sort of brush it off. Um, But this person persisted. Mm. And even though I had set down the seven things I want to do over the next 15 years to be able to, you know, retire well, having set the church up as best as I know how to, to continue, you know, charging into the future, it struck me that there's one thing I haven't done. And the one thing I haven't done is... I am the person who was there from the beginning mm. and I've always been there. There's some people who joined me at the start who have moved on since. You know, they moved to other countries, migrated, or they moved to other towns and cities. And so their story unplugged after one, two years of being at the chapel. Others plugged in three, four years down the road and unplugged at, you know, 10, 12 years and etc. I plugged in at the very start, the very first conversations, mm. and I'm still there. In a sense, I am the depository of history for the Nairobi Chapel. I have that story. At one point, my wife and I decided, let's prepare to write the story of the chapel. Just, you know, because there's a story before I got there. And so we started interviewing people who had been there a long time ago and it was difficult you know tracing because many of them had been settlers european settlers and so they went back to their countries they were of a different generation than than myself so many of them had passed away but we tried to do what we could to gather the old photos you know and and get ready to write a book Uh, but the business of ministry eventually put that down and Mm. you know we moved on and we never did. But we still have the stories and we still have Mm. the photographs, okay? But from the time that I went to the chapel, which is now almost 35 years ago, I am the depository of history Mm. for that period of time. I know the stories. I hear people tell them and I tell them, I actually got that incorrect because it was this way that it happened. I don't correct them, but I think to myself, the stories are being lost. Mm. And it dawned on me that actually it would be responsible of me not to capture the stories of faith, of God's work, of God's coming through, of God's miracles for us mm. as a Nairobi Chapel. And I have many stories where it was the Lord who came through. Mm-hmm. And there was no other way this thing ever happened except that God mm. stepped in and showed up. Mm. Now, that's that's what I'm talking about. And so I have to sit down. And get these things done.
0: So I want to take this conversation two directions, maybe more at the end. But uh first direction, tell us some of these stories. Okay. Give us three, four sto- Then The second part is going to be, what are you practically doing to try to capture these? And But first of all, yeah, give us, encourage, maybe some from the beginning, middle, near the end now. But for, encourage us. Okay. What are some of the stories of Nairobi Chapel that, wow, these are front and center? Yeah.
1: That, yeah. I can give you one big one. Um... We, we grew as a church and grew very rapidly in those early years, so much so that the little building we were in that could fit maybe comfortably about 250 people were running services for 3,500. It was a nut house. Those numbers don't add up. <laughs> a building that seats 250 and you're having 3,000 or more people yes so we put seats outside the building and benches and had people sit and we put speakers outside the building so we're broadcasting into the open and you know they would sit there under the trees and there'll be a speaker somewhere where they could hear Um, and then when that got full and there was no more space on the compound because we're on a little postage stamp size maybe something like 1 16th of an acre very small space okay Um, When that couldn't happen anymore, we got a little FM transmitter that had a radius of about 100 to 200 meters transmission. It was a very weak one. And what we do is we transmit the service and tell people, when you come and you come with a car... Park in the parking lot, you know, along the road, you know, close by and we'll transmit and just tune to this frequency and you'll get the live service within a 200 meter radius. And so people did that. And then that didn't work anymore. There were too many people. And so we started multiplying the services. And at one point, we're running seven services a week to reach you know to speak to the numbers that we're dealing with it was a nut house we were burning left right and center and i think the thing that finally for me convinced me this is a lack of responsibility and leadership you know we who are the leaders of the church are being irresponsible in the way that we're managing this was one day you know seeing people trying to push out of a service that had ended late and the people who are coming for the next service were already there okay, at the doors waiting to come in to be one of the select 250 who could get a seat within the building and the scramble and the push and the shoving as people try to push in as others try to get out and push out and then seeing women climbing into the church through the windows hmm. and I thought, okay, this, hmm. this is lack of leadership on our part and as, as the leaders of the church we sat down and said, guys, this place will never be it. We need to find a new home. This home has become far too small. And so we began a five-year process of um, raising up the equivalent of, you know, maybe it's about, at that time, um, you know, it was it, it came to about 60,000 US um, dollars, maybe about 70,000, 80,000, you know, Canadian. And, um, and we wanted that, was it 6,000, not sixty thousand, six hundred thousand. okay? And we wanted to go and buy 15 acres of land on the outskirts of the city, okay? And so we started this crazy fundraising, climbed up mountains, you know, raised as much as we could, really pushed on this. And the, you know, um, about a month before we were to finally sign the deal and we running out of time, we had only raised about um, a third of that, okay? and it was clear we're not going to make it now it so happened that i was coming on to the you know to north america on a trip i was speaking at a couple of churches and such and uh, in one of the churches the elders of the church called me for a meeting that i was not expecting and they sat me down and they say tell us about the land you're buying and how far you've gone and these were good friends we were partners together these were good friends and uh i told them and i told them you know been able to raise this amount so we're praying that god would somehow do a miracle for us and make it possible for us to purchase the land and um you know and they said we want to be involved and i said no guys you can't be because this one i feel as though you know in our discussions together i may have put you under pressure to give towards this thing and um it was never part of what you budgeted for it's not you know in your in your projected budget for this year And it would be wrong for me to push you and, um, you know, to get something from you. We're friends, um, you know, so please no. And they said, you know, but we want to be a part of it. And he said, yes, I I understand that. But the story hasn't ended and we have a long ways to go even after we purchase the land. And I just feel that the conversations we've had together have been intense. And maybe you shouldn't be a part of this at this point. Mm Because it would be, you're acting because I, I pressured you. So I, I said no. Mm. And um, I was leaving that night to go back to Kenya because we we're coming up to the deadline. And I needed to be there somehow to leave the church. And so they pleaded and I, I said, no, guys, you know, I'm, I pushed you and I shouldn't have done that. And it was wrong. And so they said, okay. And so, you know, I got ready. I Went to the airport, got onto the plane, and it was at the airport itself that the missions pastor called me and he said, we have transferred something like, you know, um, 250,000 US dollars to your account in Nairobi for the fundraising. I said, I thought, I thought we talked about that. And he said, you know, Oscar, God is doing something through Nairobi Chapel. Please do not deny us the opportunity to be a part of that story and to be generous. Mm. Do not say no to us where God is moving us to become a part of your story. And I thought, wow, you know, I could actually be getting in the way of God Mm. by refusing (coughs) generosity that I think I pressured into existence. Mm. But they feel it is a call of the Lord that we give this gift. And Mm. so I said, guys, done. know i will not push back on that one the way you put it i will not push back that sunday i got home on something like a friday that sunday is when we were supposed to close the deal because the lawyers were meeting on monday and i went to the congregation and i said guys you know um this happened and so now we've moved from the third we were before to about, you know, um, a a little more than two-thirds of the way there. And we only have this amount left, this little bit left. But I told them, you know, one of the things I would like us to do as a church is to tithe 10%. We're talking about, you know, these big monies, these big amounts. There are churches who don't even see one hundredth of what we're trying to gather together. And we should be a church that is willing to donate mm-hmm. and to give away 10%. So I said, even though we haven't met our need, today we're going to give away 10% of what we have gathered. Mm-hmm. And the elders had agreed to this prayer. And so there were a couple of uh, the churches who were planting in the slums and we'd written out checks for them and their leaders were with us. And we gave each of them to about 10% of what we had gathered, which came to about $60,000. We gave it away. And so he said, tomorrow the lawyers are meeting. Now... We are a little further back because we've given our ten percent. Pray with me that God would fill that cup and give generously so that we can fill that cup. I kid you not, Matt. People gave and the next morning we signed the papers hmm. and bought the land. That was God. Hmm. I mean, you know, anybody listening to that would say, boy, were you daring and foolish. And maybe I was. You were turning away money. <laughs> I was turning away money. But God came through. And that, for me, is a miracle, a story of how we got that land. Today, the the parcel of land that we bought that was sort of on the outskirts of the city The city has grown, you know, the city, Nairobi has doubled since that time. And the city has grown all around us. So we're we're surrounded by hundreds of people and homes and apartments. And we have 15 acres Mm. in the middle of, of, you know, huge community. Mm. So everybody said, boy, this was strategic. No, it wasn't strategic. We didn't even know what we were doing. Mm. It was God who made it happen. Mm. Thank you. Mm. Another story? Oh, it, yeah. It, how
0: about people? How about people story? People's cha- life changed. Well, yeah, I well, don't no, just throw us out. One of the ones you want to make sure, I got to document this. People need to know what happened in this situation or... I don't know, pastor raised up. I don't know something that yeah, just just because we I, need to hear this. Yeah, I, thank you. I
1: could tell you stories of people who have come into ministry and God has used them mightily, and mm. it was the story of the Lord. I'll give you another one. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned this in one of our earlier discussions. We 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 have a small church in San Francisco, okay, and the story of that church is you know um, we got a letter from uh, the American Baptist Church of the Southwest. Is it the Southwest? Yeah, the Southwest. And uh, they wrote and said, we want to send a team to come over and talk with you about partnerships. Okay, I said, okay. I don't know who that is. I went on the web, checked out the American Baptist Church to figure out who these guys were. And uh, there was one or two friends that we had in common who had been central to this discussion over in San Francisco mm-hmm. before it became known to me that, you know, they were thinking and talking about this. They sent a team of almost 10 of their key leaders.
0: Mm-hmm. From one church or a network of churches? No, they're a
1: network of okay. churches, okay? okay? Um, it's a denomination, the American Baptist Church. And so mm-hmm. they sent about 10 of their, of their key leaders, and they came to Nairobi, and they spent about four or five days with us. And uh, they sat with us, and they said, we okay. have come because we're making a Macedonian call to you. Hmm. We need you to come and partner with us and help us with our churches. And what did you, <laughs> what did you say with that? My immediate response was, you're kidding. Hmm. I mean, I didn't put it that way, yeah. but I thought to myself, we're Africans what are we going to go to San Francisco and do? Mm. I don't know what to do in San Francisco. I've never been to San Francisco. I don't even know what churches mm. are like in San Francisco. I've read the story of the American Baptist Church, and I know what some of the, you know, modern challenges of the church are. Yeah. But how would you even be an answer to that? Mm. And, you know, we talked about this with them, and they said, you know, this is a Macedonian call. Please don't say no to us.
0: Did they share how they heard that? Like how did they? How did the Spirit speak to them, saying you need to go to Nairobi Chapel? Did yes.
1: They, how how did
0: they hear that from God? Yeah, yeah.
1: I've, I've documented it. I won't okay. go into that. Okay. okay. Um, but but what what I did feel, even as I was objecting to the thought of you know we we really can't bring anything to you is everything I've said about partnerships, okay? And I thought it's coming back to bite me (laughs) that everybody has a part to play in the body Mm. and we have a part. And Mm. God isn't asking us to come and fix San Francisco or fix the American Baptist Church. We could never do that. But take the little thing that you know and that you have, Mm. take it to them. And the three things I felt God telling me, this I have given you as an African church in Nairobi. I have given you the gift of faith You believe crazy and crazy things happen. Hmm. Take that with you. Number two, I have given you the gift of prayer. And right there, I felt the Lord call me to call for a fast for San Francisco for 40 days of nothing but water and that I would lead that charge. Hmm. We had seven people come forward and say, we'll pray with you. And then we had another 30 who said, I'll pray a daily fast, okay? And others who said, you know, I will pray for 10 days of water only fast. Mm. But seven people stepped up and said, I'll pray the full 40 days with you. You know, just water alone for 40 days. Now, and I was to lead that charge. I've never done this before. Okay. So that was the second thing that we're to take to San Francisco. And I heard the Lord tell me, you know, I'm not asking you to give what you don't have. I'm asking you to give what I have given you. And what I have given you is that seed of faith. And I have given you the gift of prayer. And I'm calling you to go with the boldness that I've installed in you. Mm. I I once had a chance to visit, uh, you know, Israel. Okay. Um, I was invited by a church in the U.S. They were taking a team of about 40 people and they said, would like you to come along. I'd never been. And I thought, wow, you know, I'd like to go to the Holy Land and uh, et cetera. So I went along. And I had an encounter with the Lord there, where He told me very, very clearly, "I have given you boldness as a gift." And I thought, God, oh dear, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I was engaged in speaking about the politics of Kenya, um, picked up by the secret police twice because of speaking on issues that, you know, did not cast a good image on the on the political you know, uh, leaders of our country at a time when Kenya was really struggling with corruption and such. And I was picked up and it was that boldness. And so I've given you the spirit of boldness. Take that with you and you Mm. go. Those are the three things I'm asking you to go with. Faith, prayer, and boldness. Go do the crazy African thing in San Francisco Mm. that everybody will sort of, you know, lower their head and, and hold with their hand and think, what are these Africans doing? But that's what I've given you. And so I say that I can do, Lord. I, I don't know what to do about the church and such. But anyway, the church did start. And uh, we did do the 40 days of, of uh, you know, fasting. The hardest fast I have ever done. Mm. And um, and we went to San Francisco. And we do have a church in San Francisco mm. now. Now, it's interesting to see what COVID did to the church. COVID scattered the the community that was a church, especially because it was older people mm. and who were vulnerable and etc. But it's opening up possibilities among the migrant communities in San Francisco. Um, And there are many migrant people who come into San Francisco, you know, from all parts of the world. Um, Conversations, location, the location is right where the church Mm -hmm. is and etc. And there's been the question, is this what God is calling us to today? Is this what we should be putting our energy Mm -hmm. into? Because that which we came to nurture here has not taken off and seems to have died. But this... There's so many amazing Mm. conversations going on. And we're trying to listen to the Lord and to ask, Lord, is this what you called us here for? Mm. Even though we thought we're going to Mm. take a small church and bring life into it.
0: This is still an ongoing story. Yeah, it's walking still an in ongoing. faith. God yeah, is working, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's not a tie the bow on this one. Happy li- happy no, ever ending. No, right? No. Yeah. and you
1: know we're in Dubai and we're in uh, in New Zealand. We're in Australia. Mm. All those are stories of mm. God's miracle. Okay, you've got to tell
0: God. the New Zealand piece because okay. you've sent people there. Your number of churches are. are you've st- t- but one of your people is the bishop. One of the bishops. So that's a God thing. So tell that. I love that story. Please tell that story. We had
1: this young church planter. Well, we had this young Christian who was finishing university. And he came to me one day and he said, you know, I want to go into ministry. And I said, Steve, his name is Steve. Steve, why why don't I give you a scholarship and you go to theological college? I know your passion, I know your desire to serve the Lord. You need to get a good you know, theological education under your belt. And so we sent him off to the Nairobi Evangelical Graduate School of Theology and he did his master's in divinity and came back and he said, okay, Steve, we're gonna have you work with the youth and within three years, I want you to go and plant a church, which he did. And he went and planted the church and the church was thriving and growing and doing well. Then he got an opportunity to step back into his family's uh you know religious denomination his father was a minister in the anglican church got an opportunity to step back into the anglican church and lead the missions arm of the anglican church okay um, it's called church army and they train people to go out as missionaries to enrich places across Africa, okay? And it's sort of part of the CMS, the Church Missionary Society of the Anglican Church. But this is a training unit, the church mm-hmm. army. And so he went back into the Anglican Church. This is in, this is in Kenya. This is in Kenya. Okay. Went back into the Anglican Church and was leading that ministry and et cetera. And then a call was made from from Australia, I mean, from New Zealand, Um we have looked high you know far and wide for somebody to lead the c m s here in New Zealand, and we haven't found anyone um Is there somebody that can do this and Steve stepped up to the plate and said, "I'm willing to come and to lead c m s in Australia so he did i mean in New Zealand, so he did, so he went to New Zealand and he and his family um we commissioned them sent them off went to new zealand and led the 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 church missionary society in new zealand for 10 years in those 10 years he engaged so significantly with the church that you know there were things happening in terms of new energy growth in the ministry etc cetera, etc cetera, that that the church you know was very excited about and then a vacancy fell open, an an evangelical um, diocese of the Anglican Church in New Zealand, I think they have, if I'm not wrong, I think they have about 10 different dioceses, and most of them are like dioceses that are for the English settlers, okay, and so Christ Church, and there is Nelson, and there is, um, you know, just add what is it, uh, the capital of New Zealand, Auckland, okay? There are all these places that make up a diocese. And then they have, I believe it's two dioceses that are for the Maori people, okay? And then um, there may be a diocese for another community of people. So one evangelical diocese, and as best as I understood, there are only two evangelical dioceses. Uh, you know, a lot of the churches has sort of gone down the road of being liberal. The only two. And they were very keen to have somebody who is passionate about the gospel and passionate about church planting and expansion and reviving the churches and et cetera, et cetera. One of these Anglican uh, dioceses, two Anglican dioceses, the bishop was retiring and there wasn't a natural second. And as they looked, they sort of encouraged Steve to apply for the position. And when he did, he got it. And so he is now the bishop of Nelson Diocese in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And um, he is working with the churches, um, trying to, you know, set up evangelical pastors in these churches. And one of the challenges that New Zealand has had, the church, the Anglican church has had, and this is true of other churches also, is a lack of men and women to step up to the plate as pastors. And and so he's begun now bringing in people from other parts of the world to come and and work mm. within their the, the mm. you know the diocese and to revive the churches and you know to preach a gospel. And so we have about seven such churches that we're responsible for now in New Zealand. Um, many of them are little congregations and some of them are congregations of elderly people, but there's a desire to, you know, reach the youth and to change the nature mm. of the expression of faith that, you know, is preached from the pulpit and etc. And so you have missionaries there and Steve is, mm. the, the, you know, the Bishop of Nelson. <laughs> <Yeah>. Again, <laughs> only God does yeah, that. Yeah. And the great thing about that, I'll tell you um, uh, Matt, is um, in taking in you know, our pastors, um, because Steve and I have the conversation of, he'll ask me, you know, do you have really good people that you can send over to me? And I'll say, yeah, I have a leader here who I think is ready to step out of Kenya into something bigger than Kenya. Take him. Okay. And I'll give you my best. Um, when, when you go to New Zealand, um, the churches have the resources, to pay the cost of relocating and the cost of, you know, settling down a pastor, and then the cost of, you know, sustenance and living in New Zealand. Two years of working in New Zealand, you get residency, five years you get citizenship. So, you know, in a sense, it's a model of missions where we in Africa aren't having to raise the money to send somebody Mm. to New Zealand. The opportunities are there. What we need to do is say yes to that because the resources are already in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And then that person can work there for 20 years, 30 years, become a citizen, you know, live their whole ministry life there, caring for people and etc. without our ever mm-hmm. needing to transfer resources mm-hmm. to New Zealand.
0: So maybe this is a prompt. Someone listening to this podcast, if God's been nudging you to go to New Zealand... Maybe you want to get a hold of Oscar.
1: He'll connect you with Steve,
0: and away you go. So, yeah. Oscar, thank you for those stories. Um, so, practically, what are you doing? What do you think? And once again, you said we're an oral culture, and maybe you're maybe you're needing to step into a space that may not be natural, but it's like, but I have to do this. So, the, so as you said, I secure the history and lessons and the stories of the work. So what are yeah. you doing in the next few minutes just practically to make this a reality? And maybe you're still figuring it out. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Um, to be honest, Matt, I haven't started doing anything okay. with this. Okay. I know that I need to take a you know, computer cable and plug it into my brain <laughs> and download everything <laughs> onto some sort of yeah. you know, document or even yeah. Yeah. a podcast like this or even just you know, record myself mm. and capture these stories. Mm. And uh, even if I'm not the one who writes them down, at least they have been written and noted Mm -hmm. and they can then be codified into some sort of Mm -hmm. book. And it's really just, you know, a biography of the church. Um, It's the stories of the church, but Mm -hmm. to remember even my daughters who are adults now in their thirties, they don't know many of these stories, Mm -hmm. even where we have talked about them around the dinner table, they don't have the specifics. Mm -hmm. If, we do not capture these stories, mm. they will be lost. Mm. And so I recognize that, you know, as I as I move into these 15 years of ministry, I must intentionally start taking time aside to sit down and record, whether it's with a, you know, a recorder or write mm. um, and get these stories down. Mm. So my wife is one who's pacing me on this one she's very committed to get this done and i keep telling her not yet not yet not yet but it will happen you know we'll get this done so
0: and and maybe as part of this a new story will emerge that god's gonna bring you someone yeah who will say oscar we're gonna sit down for three hours a week yeah and i will run with this project maybe yeah. that'll be the beauty of it yeah. right yeah yeah and that'd be kind of a neat way to do it so yeah Oscar, thank you. Uh, Number seven, secure the history and lessons of the work. As always, trust you've been able to engage the rest of these podcasts. Uh, We have one more to go yet. Uh, Secure the resources. And then we have a couple of bonus episodes. As Oscar and I have done this, we we have to do a couple extra things here. And so stay tuned for those.